hugging and kissing. I like that. Christmas season. This is a healthy church. You know it's good. We are going to be concluding the book of John, so it's kind of a bittersweet moment for me today. Um, on Saturday, I got to let you know, I was like, oh, it's bittersweet. I'm sad. And somebody in the front row was like, yes, we're finally out of the book of John. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, so some of you, if you're ready to get out of the book of John, hooray for you. If you're sad like me, uh, I promise we'll be back one day. Um, but we're going to be in John chapter 21. Um, and we are going to be diving into uh, the conclusion of this book. But I want to let you know, just as a description of what we're going to be going through in this particular uh, passage is... Uh, Peter's life is a, just a beautiful example of how our failures in the hand of God do not define us. And uh, I love this particular thought. It's something that I guess came to me. I never re- I remember writing this, but I'm going to use I feel like I'm plagiarizing myself. I found it in a Devo from years ago on the book of John. And I love this. It said, with the pen of forgiveness, Christ wrote redemption as the defining character in Peter's life and in mine. And I want to ask yourself right now, is the Lord being allowed in your heart today to write with the pen of forgiveness his redemption into your life? Um, And I love it because just as a perfect example, as we go through the, the book of John, it's just been an ongoing thing. God forgives our sin and uses us despite it. And then you know what happens? Just like Peter, we become the living testimony of God. And what is that testimony? God does not recycle broken lives. He doesn't just stop there. He weaves them into his will and into his story. Every single person here can be used by God to exemplify his glory and honor. And I want to just propel that to you that in this scripture, as we're going to see that everything that Peter had at this moment, which could have been, he could have been lost, he could have had shame, he could have had guilt, the Lord replaced it with glory and honor and his righteousness. And he didn't give that because that's all he had to give. He gave out of abundance. And I want you to key in that word, abundance. What does the Lord have for you? And does he have enough? And we're going to see that in the story. Before we actually get into John 21, I want to show you how special this uh, book is and maybe this chapter as John is writing about it. Look, if you could just go back a couple verses into 20, go back to 20, uh, verse 30. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, that's a great place to end this book, isn't it? That sounds like if I was wearing a nice jacket and I was sitting by a roaring fire, I don't know if you remember, there was used to be story time readers that used to do this on TV. If that was the end, you'd be like the, the story time reader would close the book and go, and that was the book of John, the end. Have a great evening. And then the end, the credits would roll. But John does something very amazing because as you can tell, John really loves John. He brings it up a lot. He's like, oh, I'm the disciple that the Lord loved the most. It's, uh, we were BFFs forever. I mean, he constantly puts that out. But he closes this book by focusing on his friend Peter. And I think that's such a wonderful way to close the book. If you join me, look at verse 21. Uh, sorry, chapter 21, verse 1. Look how it goes. After Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, It happened this way. Simon Peter Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples. We don't get their name. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got in the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. 
I want to just point out, if you have a church background or church history, this is mostly the time when a, a pastor would typically start to rail against Peter. What is Peter not doing? He's not doing ministry. He abandoned Jesus. He's disillusioned, and he's fearful, and all these things. I just want to put in your head, as John is tenderly treating the life of Peter, especially in this particular phase, we don't do that. We don't want to fill in the gaps for what Peter is doing. All I can get out of this scripture is Peter was hungry. That's all I can get out of it. He is waiting on the Lord. He is waiting to see what the Lord's about to do. But in the tradition of Calvary Chapel, also known as Calvary Chapel, first we eat and then ministry. Okay, so he's on brand. I'll let you know what we do know about, G about Peter at this time. Peter loves Jesus. We know that. We know that Peter denied Jesus at the cross, uh, before the cross, before the crucifixion, as Jesus predicted at the Last Supper. He said, Jesus, I'll never leave you. I'll fight for you. I'll do everything. I'm your guy. And Jesus said, that's nice, Peter. You'll deny me three times by the second time the rooster crows. And that was true. And we know that Peter's been in hiding since the crucifixion because they know that Jesus was crucified. Maybe they'll crucify us for preaching the same gospel. But instead of listening to this moment or looking at this moment, the God that they tried to kill, who now has now proven that he has power over sin and especially death, has burst out of the tomb they're afraid to talk about because they're afraid of their own death. So we know that this is the kind of Peter that we have. We know that he's probably dealing with the shame of guilt, of, of denying Jesus Christ, and Jesus and him have never actually squared that away. We haven't had that intimate conversation, but we're going to. Look at verse four. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. I love this um, because anytime I've been down to uh, the piers down, down here at the river, if I've ever dealt with a fisherman who's been fishing for a long time, hey, have you had a good fish? Or they pull up with the fish and they're real excited and they tell you of the, the species of every fish and they're really excited. If they've not had a good fishing you know, a time out, no. Have you caught any fish? No. And there's nothing more to talk about. It's very, very guy. I love this. I love that the Bible shows you that. Look at verse 6. Jesus says, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did that, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. So in this moment, I want to take you back. They are about to experience a crazy amount of deja vu. This particular moment is not lost on the disciples as this has happened to them once before. We're going to use our thumbs. If you guys can, flip on back to Luke chapter 5. Join me in Luke chapter 5. We're going to go back to the very beginning to the first time this happened and the first time Peter has been dealing with the Lord. If we're going to go to Luke chapter 5 and we're going to go through the first 11 verses and you will see how this played out the first time and then we'll focus on how it played out the last time. So Luke chapter 5, 1 through 11. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee, same sea, just a different name, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And he saw the water's edge, two boats, left there by fishermen who were, at, who were washing their nets. He got into, the, into one of the boats. Okay, Jesus. The one belonging to Simon and asked him to pull it out a little from the shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, we will let down the nets. 
Uh, I don't know if I just put that inflection because that's what I think. I don't know if Peter's being a little sassy. He's a fisherman. This is what he does by trade. He could have been looking at Jesus the carpenter and goes, what does this guy know about fishing? But he's about to learn today, doesn't he? Verse 6, and when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. I love that. Verse 8, and when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. It's an interesting response to a lot of fish, isn't it? For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. They said to Simon, or then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore and left everything and followed. Everything in that sequence of events is amazing to me. First, you're cleaning your boat. You had, a great, you had a hard time fishing all night. Just you guys know, fishing all night is what they did. The reason why they fished at night is because two th- reasons. One, the fish couldn't see the net. The, uh, the other reason is they would hang uh, like, a, like a lantern over the water, and the fish at night would be attracted to this glittering thing that was up on the surface, so they would charge right up into the net to go after the lantern. But the beautiful thing about that is by the end of the night, if you had this huge haul, you could go right to the marketplace first thing in the morning and sell fresh fish. It's very disheartening for them to not have anything, right? So in this particular moment, Peter has a lot of needs. Peter is very discouraged, and Peter is exhausted. Have you ever been there? And then Jesus shows up in this moment and says, you know what, let me just grab your boat and go. Can you imagine that moment? Can I get in the bed of your truck and go? Who are you? Where are you from? But Jesus, nonetheless, Peter does that. He takes him out, and then Peter sees something amazing in Jesus. The Lord has such a command of the word of God. He has authority. He speaks with authority through the scripture. And Peter is just smitten. Who is this person who can preach like this from the back of a boat? And then on top of that, he shows even more power. What does he say? I have power over creation. Put those fish in that net and let's go back to the shore. But it not so much where it was like just enough. It was enough to drag and break their nets and sink their boat. And so they had to call friends and get more. Because why? The Lord is blessing them out of his what? Out of his abundance. That's going to be the theme of Peter's life. No matter what situation you're running into, you could think my biggest problem right now is that I don't have any fish or my biggest problem is I don't have enough money or time or nobody loves me or this or that or the other thing. But Jesus is going to tell you the biggest problem that you have is you don't know how to define abundance the way I define abundance. I'm going to give you fish. You don't even have enough boat. You don't have enough net to hold the fish. It's not about the fish. It's about the one who sends the fish. And in this moment, I want you to see that restoration is going to take place out of the abundance of the person, not the situation. Look on the screen. I want you to see how Peter says this. Go away from me. Lord, I am a sinful man. Immediately, the moment he sees the authority over Scripture and the authority over, let's say, creation and everything in this world, Peter immediately knows, I'm not even worthy to be in this boat with this person. Don't even look at me. But I love even more Jesus' response because that's a, maybe an appropriate response from Peter, right? I am sinful. Lord, you're too holy. Don't look at me. Look at the Lord's response. Anyways, Peter. Anyways, let's move on. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Translation, get over yourself. We don't have time to dilly and dally to see if you are good enough. You are good enough because I say you're good enough because I have called you. 
And anything that you lack and anything that you need, I will give you out of your abundance. I didn't come here for your strengths. I came to connect with you in your failures. That removes any excuse for us to move forward because we could always look and go, well, Joey's a good teacher. He's up here teaching. Or Rachel's so good at singing. And so, of course, she's blessed by the Lord. But you don't understand. The Lord didn't connect with me here and my teaching skills. He connected with me in my failure. We'll talk more about my testimony at the end. But I want to let you know, I will, everything that is poured out of me is because God is good. I do not come up here in my own strength because if I did, there would be a huge difference between Joey and his strength or Joey dressed in the robe of righteousness of Jesus Christ crowned in his glory and honor. I dare not come up here without it because it's not, it's not good enough. I'm not good enough, and I recognize this, but with Jesus, I will boldly come up and proclaim. And so that is the interaction scene, and I want you to just think about this moment. We're going to talk about abundance. Does Jesus have enough ideas on how to deal with you? Will he ever run out of ways to take care of you? No, why? Because of abundance. Look at verse, let's go back to John chapter 21. Let's go back to verse 7, and let's continue. It says, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. I love this is because we are seeing two different Peters, aren't we? I took you back to the beginning. First Peter with the same kind of emotion and same kind of heart, said, Ugh, Lord, look away from me. I am sinful. Second Peter says, I don't care if I'm in my skivvies. I'm jumping in the water, and I'm swimming over 100 yards to go see my Jesus. It doesn't matter if I'm worthy. He came to the shore. He came to the shore. Was Peter looking for Jesus? No. Was, was Jesus waiting for him on the shore? Yes. Did it matter what Peter did before? In a way, it did, but absolutely not. It matters what Jesus can do for Peter, not what Peter can do for Jesus. In this particular moment, what you're seeing is there's no longer I am sinful. There's more, Lord, whatever it takes to get to you because you're good. And then you can see, dare we can say, there's an ongoing restoration that has been taking place in Peter from the beginning to now. I love this because it reminds me of this moment that we should always be confident to approach God because the reason why the Lord came to us the reason why he's here is because he, he wanted our mess. He called for your mess. He wanted to fix it. I wanted to say this. Is Jesus going around the sanctuary today checking resumes or bank accounts? No. Or is he looking for placards? Or is, is he looking for college certificates? No. Who did he come here for? I'm here because you needed me. And out of the abundance that I have, I have much to give. It reminds me of this young man. When I first came down here to teach... Uh, in the youth group uh, in Sebastian, we were over in the fellowship office. I just remember I used to do the youth group, and there was one particular guy who was real quiet, didn't really say much, um, kind of a messy-looking kid, always kind of dirty, you know, just quiet in the corner, and I always kind of felt bad, tried to connect with him, didn't want to say much to me. And by the third or fourth time I have taught, um, he came to the service, and he goes, hey, Joey, before you teach today, can you come outside? And I said, sure, I'll, I'll come outside. We walked out of the parking lot. He pulled open his pockets, and he showed me some stuff, and I said, I won't say what it was, but it wasn't great. And he said, I, I did all this in the parking lot today before service. And I said, okay, why are you telling me? Should I call the police or what was, what was going on here? And he said, no, I just want to know if Jesus is really the real Jesus, will he forgive me for what I just did? Because I want to go in there and spend time with him. 
And I said, he absolutely. How fast does it take for you to be forgiven? He goes, well, you said as soon as I asked for forgiveness. We asked for forgiveness and we went inside. He gave his heart to the Lord, said he would never go back. 12 weeks later, it wasn't a service day. It was raining. I just remember it was thunderstorming and there was a loud knock on the door. You know, it was one of those window doors. So when they knock on the window, it's really loud. And I was like, who is this person? It's about five o'clock. I'm trying to lock up, open up the door. And there's this kid standing in the rain, just covered in water. And he's looking at me with tears in his eyes. And he said to me, Joey, I did an awesome 10, 10, 11 weeks here, but I did it again. And he opened up his pockets. And he goes, I don't know why I did it, but I just fell back. I had a really bad day. He said, Joey, does Jesus, does Jesus no longer love me? I said, Jesus is standing on the shore waiting for you. You did not find Jesus, Jesus found you. You don't have a a bigger need that Jesus can't supply. Your need is the very reason Jesus came. So today, let's throw this in the trash. Let's get on our knees and pray together. And that's what he does. And I just wanted to say, whether it's Peter, this kid, or you or me, does God have a limit to his patience? No, I mean, did he run out of patience for Peter? If it was you or me, we would have abandoned Peter years ago probably the first week. And yet three and a half years later, what is the Lord doing? Pouring in the same amount of care that he did at salvation all the way through to ongoing restoration. The Lord is not giving up. He doesn't run out of uh, patience. Why? He has an abundance. Look at verse eight. The disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. For they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards. That's a long way to swim. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back in the boat and dragged the net ashore. And it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come have breakfast. None of the disciples dare ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them. And did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. One of the most beautiful things that comes out of this scripture um, is one of the traditions that we carry on at Calvary Chapel, also known as Calvary Chapel. First, before ministry, breakfast. I love Jesus. Is he not so great? Breakfast is one of my favorite meals of the day. And Jesus is like, before we do a big day, we got to get our Wheaties in, right? But what I love about this particular moment is you know that Jesus is a good cook and he's sitting across from Peter before Peter and him can have that conversation. What a, what a, what a, what a moment. Because you know they haven't had this conversation that they're about to have. But what does the Lord say? Sit, eat, relax. Let me prepare a meal for you. What was Peter's situation that night? Starving, overworked, exhausted. And what's the first thing Jesus does? Meets his need. But it's not the biggest need that he has to to face. And that's one of the things that we can see, you know, from the beginning of the book of John. What does the book of John open with? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. What does Genesis open up? Out of nothing, God spoke into the universe and stuff happened, right? Let there be light. And there was light. Just like that, let there be birds, let there be trees, let there be land, water. And he spoke it into existence. Bringing something out of nothing is what God does. Water to wine, right? It's just plain water. We don't need that at this wedding. Well, I'll speak it into wine. Five loaves and two fishes. But we have all these people to feed. Well, guess what? Fish tacos for everybody. But it wasn't there. But it was spoken into existence. Because why? God gave out of his abundance. Empty net full of fish. Let me give you one more. Dead men, spiritually dead men, lost people, empty people, 
What can he speak into that? Out of his abundance, we can see when we follow God's voice and we, we lead, let him lead in his leadership, I would let you know, out of that obedience comes abundance. Every single time. The question is, are we prepared for the Lord to define what abundance looks like coming through us? I would say if I was sitting there on the shore, I would like to say this. I'm pretty sure Peter was feeling this at this particular moment. I bet Peter was holding that fish sandwich and looking at Jesus and being like, you know what, it's not my empty stomach I care about. It's my empty heart. It's been long enough. It's been about three weeks since I've seen you, Jesus, like this, sitting down intimately. And I would probably say in the end, he would probably feel like it was his fault. But there's more amazing things to come for Peter's life, isn't there? Whether Peter sees it or not, there's more amazing things coming for your life, whether you see it or not. But Jesus sees it, doesn't he? And that's why I meet you on the shore. I just want to let you know, this is what we've established about Jesus. Water to wine, empty nets, empty men who become messenger of God. How about now a person who would die in his sin, Peter, who then becomes bursting with life, eternal life, a fountain of eternal life. Why? Because he spent time with Jesus Christ and he was forever changed. Where I was once lost, I am now found. Where I was once dead, I am now alive. Where I once had no hope, I now have Jesus Christ. Restoration isn't an event. Restoration is a person. And he's here for you, and he's calling you by name. Which brings us to our first point. Bring your lack to Christ and plant it in the abundant hands of God. Bring whatever lack that you have in your life today and plant it right in the abundant hands of God. You know, sometimes we can think of this way, and probably Peter in this moment, we think about our Christianity from the way, what can we contribute to God? And we need to stop thinking about that. And yeah, we might have a lot of needs today. Like, I'd love to do more for the church. I'd love to do more for Jesus Christ, but my needs are so great. And that's okay. Is Jesus up to the task? Is he strong enough? If he can raise somebody from the dead, can he take care of your life? Can he take care of your needs? And I love this. There's a time for us to just sit here and say this. Yes, the Lord is worthy to be praised, but we need to start receiving. We need to stop, rest, not do things in our flesh, and just receive from the Lord and just say to him, Lord, I'm not a good leader. I can't do this without you. I would say this. Sometimes I pray this. Lord, I'm not a good husband. I need you to go into this marriage with me. Lord, I'm not a good teacher. I need you to come up in this pulpit with me. And every time Jesus is faithful. Every time Jesus is faithful. But who gets the glory? The Lord every time. Um, I said that I would, I would say a little bit about my testimony. Some of you guys have heard it, so sorry, but it, it fits perfectly with this verse that's on this slide. Some of you know this about me. I, my parents got a divorce, and I slipped into a depression uh, right at the end of high school. And uh, just so you know, my parents got divorced. Uh, they, they filed for divorce proceedings on Christmas Eve. So that's why Christmas is always special with me and Jackie because we, we've destined we're never going to get divorced no matter what, right? So we've made that commitment before the Lord. So we've redeemed Christmas Eve together. Um, but in this moment, I slip into depression, and the way I dealt with my depression is I did drugs. And I tried to do drugs enough to kill myself. And I remember I was at University of Central Florida. I was in a parking lot. My friends were all doing drugs too, and they were so high that they could not bring me to a hospital. So what they did, the best thing they could do at the moment is kick me out the car. 
and let me die in the parking lot. And I remember as a person who grew up in the church thinking, this is how I'm going to go. And I remember there was a building that had like, you know, that mirror kind of reflection, those kind of like business buildings. And I saw my reflection because Dawn was coming up behind me. I could see my face. It was super blue and I could barely breathe. There's a lot of stuff in my air, pa- air passageways. And I just remember going, this is all it. And I remember the Lord speaking to me. He said these words, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. This is why I came to you. You didn't come to me. You're not calling out to me. I'm calling out to you, Joey. And I said, Lord, whatever you want, whatever you need, whatever, everything that I am, even this mess that I am, I am yours. And from that moment, I no longer became a preacher of death. I no longer became an, an evangelist of the darkness of this world. I became the man that you see before you today, and I own nothing of it. All God owns all of it. To this day, I am living for Jesus Christ. To this day, I'm preaching words of life, but they're not my words of life. They're his. And out of this abundance, the Lord has given me so much. I have life. I have a wife. I have two kids. I could have been dead in a parking lot. And yet I hear I am sharing in this beautiful family of life of Jesus Christ and his house of worship with you because he said so. So the promise and hope comes through this word, but I want to let you know there's rest into this, and we should meditate on this word every day. Now, I could look at that moment as a moment of failure, but I want to exemplify it to you this way, how I look at that moment now. The kids' ministry does probably about the best amount of inspiration and ministry back to me. Just so you guys know, every time I step into the kids' ministry, they correct my theology left and right. You have no out of the mouth of babes. Um, one day we were out here in the parking lot. We were doing a cleaning session. And I don't know where I did it. I found a giant bag of sunflower seeds. And so I pulled it out. So me and the teenagers in the kids' ministry, as we were picking up leaves and sticks out here, we just got into these sunflower seeds and we're cracking them open. And we just love it. You know, kids, you get into a spitting contest. That's the greatest thing in their life. And so they're like, I'm spitting seeds with the pastor. This is great. And uh, I remember there's this one little girl. I'll never forget. She had these, these crazy purple jeans on. And she was grabbing hand over fist seeds and shoving them into her pockets and not spitting. And I went over to her and I go, what are you doing? I mean, there's enough for everybody. I'm like, do I need to send seeds home with you? What's going on? And she goes, no, I don't want to have seeds today. I want to have sunflowers tomorrow. And I was like, you know, that's kind of crazy, but can I use that in a sermon? That's really, really good. I will let you know why that's so good. I saw in the moment, she was like, I could consume this and just take it for what it is. Or I could look through the situation and see what God can do with it. I know if I look at this moment, I can go, Joey, you're a drug-addicted loser. Or I can look through this moment and go, through the hand of God, through the promise of God, the resurrection of God, you are something else. And no longer are you a person that's just looking at seeds. You're looking at what God can do with the seed. What can God do with you? What can God do with your broken testimony? What can God do with your life when he comes in and writes restoration, whether that's in you or without you? I think of the Samaritan woman. In that moment, she thinks she's just dealing with a drink, and Jesus is like, this is more than a well. This is more than a meeting. This is you being confronted by this idea that you don't know what abundance is. If you drink from me, you will never be thirsty again. It's about abundance. It's about the emptiness in your cup and what Christ can put in it. Let's continue. Verse 15. Now Jesus is going to reinstate Peter. And when they had finished eating... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And then the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. And you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, Peter is hurt on the third time. I want to let you know, in Middle Eastern culture, it's kind of a thing that you're doing when you're driving home a point to say it three times. I will let you know, sometimes I've done a worship song three times, and by the third time, it hits a little different. Like, I soak it in, or maybe I've prayed a prayer three times, and by the third time I pray it, that is true. You kind of, like, sink deeper into the meaning of the prayer. Um, I'll give you the case in point. Whenever the angels fly around the Lord in the Old Testament, what do they say? Holy, holy, holy. They say it three times. Why? To exemplify the point. God is really holy. But look at the Lord. He's saying, do you love me three times? And Peter is like, you know what? I'm really struggling with this conversation. I get what you're doing. For all of us that might see this, there's many different layers to this. Yes, we're going back to tiramisu and lasagna. You know, I can't get away from food. Whatever Jesus says, there's always layers to it. And the surface layer is this. Three times you sat around a fire and you denied me. Publicly. Three times you're now going to sit around a fire and publicly affirm me. And you're going to look me in the eye and we're going to know that you love me. And you're also going to know that I love you. And so this moment is very special for Peter because God is going to call him into ministry, but before he can be called into ministry and be the leader that he has to be, he has to submit. He has to submit to who? His shepherd before he can shepherd anybody else. And this is the lesson that he's going through with Peter right now. He's saying, take care of my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. But I want you to know the calling has never changed, Peter. Uh, Even if we have to keep working on you, I'm still moving you forward. Even if you've said, I've blown it. This is the biggest failure of my life. I denied Jesus Christ publicly. I can't do any worse than that. And what is the Lord doing in this moment? Yes, you failed. But yes, I know your heart too. And I know what it looks like when my abundance goes into your failure and lifts you up, which brings us... To our next point, bring your failure to God and bury it in the abundance of his love. And then what? Be restored. Bring your failure to God, bury it in the abundance of his love and be restored. You know, it's, it's just as simple as this. We're going to fail. We're human and we're in our flesh. But God already has a plan for that. Just think about this. The moment Adam and Eve sinned, there was a plan. There was a prophecy. The moment that the Old Testament, when they marched them out of Egypt, right? There was a plan. And when they failed, there was a plan. There was always a plan. And God always had an intercessor. And God always prepared the way for them. Which means this. We can do this. We can acknowledge that we have failure. And then we cannot take that failure and run and isolate and hide ourselves. We take our failure and go, Jesus, I did it again. Let's deal with it. And Jesus lovingly leans into it. How do we know? I want to give you from the book of Exodus. You guys know on Wednesdays, we went through the book of Exodus and we finished it this year. I love this passage. You know, Moses is dealing with God after which could have been arguably one of the dumbest moves in the Bible. You're sitting at the foot of Mount Sinai. The Lord is at the top. There's smoke and all kinds of fireworks and lightning coming out of it. The people can hear God talking to Moses. They're going, please, Moses, stop. I can't handle the Lord's, I can't handle the Lord's trumpet and I can't handle his voice. It's just so amazing. And so they're at the foot of the, the mountain. What do they do? Do they worship God? No, they build a golden calf. If we could get into DeLorean and go back in time, 
I guarantee you the first thing out of all of our mouths is as they're fashioning this golden calf, they'd be like, you don't understand how dumb this move is. But they did it. And they did it because why? Because they're us, because we're fleshly. How many of you have had a great Sunday and then had a horrible Monday? How many of you have had a great church service and by Sunday night you're already blowing it? I've blown it pulling out in the parking lot with the kids in the back doing something what I didn't ask them to do, right? You know? And I blow it. I go, okay, Lord, I, I'm the very thing I preach today. I got to go, you know, go back. And so Moses intercedes between the people and God and says, Lord, are you going to kill us? Because that was a bad move. Like, I get it. I get it. I mean, on the list of moves, this is the bottom of the barrel. And the Lord says, no, I'm not going to kill you. No, I'm going to go with you. Look at his response on the screen of Exodus 34, 6 through 7. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation. And that very end of that sentence I left there, or that verse, is because that can seem very harsh, but I want to ask you something. The same people that built the calf, the same people that rebelled over and over, did God give them manna every day? Did he pour water out from a rock in the desert? Did their clothes continue to never run out? They, you know, the, supernaturally, their sandals never broke and their clothes never wore out. And when the enemy came to attack them, did they win as long as they were in the Lord? Yes, because out of the abundance God gave them. I want to ask you this question. Did God's love ever run out for Israel? Think of how rebellious the whole Old Testament is. Did God's love ever run out for Peter? Is God's love ever going to run out for you? It's out of the abundance. Did you know, I didn't realize this because I've been like, I don't look at these numbers, but they, at the beginning of the year, it was like 7.2, 7.4 billion people in the world, and we're now about to eclipse eight. Eight billion people. I can't even think. I feel like the earth is going to, there's too many people just going to crush and just fall in. But it's just amazing to me, if you ask yourself this question, does God have enough love for eight billion people at once? Then he has enough love for you. He has enough love for you. We are now approaching this particular moment with Peter the same way. Lord is saying to Peter, I've commissioned you for a specific work. And you know what that work is, Peter? The work of restoration. I wasn't ever counting on you to be the best or the brightest or the smartest. I wanted to show you off to the world as a person of restoration. Our greatest thing that we can give the Sebastian community or our family or friends or coworkers is this. I'm just like you. The only difference is I have been given Jesus Christ. And out of that abundance, if that is attractive to you, come and meet him. I'd love to introduce you. In fact, you don't even have to look far. He's always been on the shore waiting for you. And that's what's happening right now. There is no other sacrifice but God's sacrifice. And you know what else I love that I, I see in this particular moment? That when he's talking to Peter, is that the failure that Peter is always having is in his flesh. Every time that Peter has failed, he's failed, failed, uh, sorry, fallen in his flesh. In this particular moment, he talks to Jesus. Jesus goes, I got to go to the cross because I got to get crucified so that you guys can get saved. And Peter goes, absolutely not. There's no way my bestie's going to the cross. I would fight for that day. And Jesus goes, you're in your flesh. Satan, get behind me. You know, we're going to arrest Jesus Christ. Let me get my sword. Peter, don't you know I can call angels? Who are you with your little rinky-dinky knife? I don't need you. You need me. 
Just think about this. When he was on top of the water, what an amazing moment. The only human being to step out of the boat, walk in the water with Jesus Christ. And he was walking in faith and connection in the presence of God. But the moment he took his eyes off the Lord, he fell in the water. And I know he was probably slightly embarrassed at least about that. But when he gets back in the boat, you never hear Jesus go, you blew it out there. No, he gets him back in the boat. They get to the other side and he goes, let's go do ministry. I'm working on you. You are a people of restoration. Let's not change the story. Let's not change the path. I don't need you at your strongest. I need you in me. No, to we see, he says to Peter here at the shore, he never says, Peter, do you feel sorry for what you did in the courtyard? You don't see that in the scripture, do you? Peter, are you promise, pinky promise, never to do that again. Do you see that in the scripture? Nor how about this? You can tell I had this kind of parent. You're going to hear, you're going to hear the realness when it comes out. Do you know that you're a direct reflection of me and anything you do goes back on me? Do you hear that in the scripture? No. What does he say? Peter, do you love me? What Jesus is saying, be in this relationship with me. Don't run, don't hide. Be in this relationship, receive, and let me shape you by my love. Let the world see how good I am to you. Which brings us to our next point. Realize today, really I put in parentheses every day, we are rich in the abundance of Jesus' love and boldly walk in that love. You know, I, I think about this particular thing that I don't always realize how rich in the abundance of Jesus' love. You know, the enemy really wants for you in your failure to feel useless. And sometimes I can feel useless in my own life, and sometimes I can feel useless for Jesus Christ. But sometimes that, even that acknowledgement, is a self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm a failure, absolutely, just because I said it. But what I need to say is I am a blood-bought, loved child of God, sealed in the Holy Spirit. Let me see what he wants to do today. Not what I want to do or what can I do today, because if it was on my own, I would never be able to step out on the boat and walk on water. I would need Jesus. I would never be able to lay hands on people and them and get healed. I would need Jesus. I would never be able to turn this drug-addicted, empty, dead person around. I would need Jesus. Everything good that I have comes from him. I want you to ask yourself this question. Is there a love that can balance and restore your life in this world quite like Jesus? No, because Jesus would lovingly confront Peter because he doesn't want Peter to continue and be the same, right? I want to lovingly confront you, but I'm not going to leave you there. It's not like you just got caught with your hand in the cookie jar and Jesus said, no, don't ever do that again. Go hide. Go, go, go sit in time out. No, he goes, I want to replace what I'm taking away from you with something better. I'll give you the case in point here. He took away my sin and what did he give me? Righteousness. Out of his abundance. He took away my death and what did he give me? Life. But not just life on this earth, life forevermore. He not just gave me a blessing in my hand or just to take away the, 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 the brokenness of this world. He put blessings in my hand. And out of that blessings, what do I do? Bless others. And now I'm more excited about blessing others than I am about God blessing me because I can't wait to see what he's going to do next because I want to see his heart. Which brings us to our next verse on the screen. It says, Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 6. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. I want to ask you this question as we look at that verse. Did God's grace ever run out for Peter? He had enough. He was an infinite supply of grace, isn't he? Will God's grace ever run out for you? We have no excuse. 
We have no excuse in our sin and failure not to charge forward into the arms of God because the God has everything that we ever need and enough, enough for even us, even when we fail. I love that too, by the way. It says, for God is great in his love. Who else is rich in his mercy? I don't even remember the lives of the rich and famous. Remember that show? Lives of the rich and famous. We were watching TV in the 80s. You saw it. And they would show us all these rich people. And he would always say, what, Robin, was that his name? Robin Leach? He was like, and people love to lavish the wealth. That's what that word is there. God loves to lavish you in his love. He loves to lavish you in his mercy. Why wouldn't you let him? What's the reason? What reason do you have to stop God from lavishing you in his mercy? Let's continue. Verse 18. It says, Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, Now get out of my sight. Is that what it says in the scripture? or away with you. I'm done with you. He says, follow me. No hesitation. There's restoration. Let's go. I'm not dwelling on the past. I care about your past. That's why I came, but I'm not dwelling. Let's go where? Follow me. Let's go together. Can there be any greater compliment that Jesus can give you than wanting to spend the rest of your life with you? Flattery. Verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. And this is the one who had leaned back against Jesus at supper and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? We know it's you, John. You don't have to say it like that. When Peter saw him, he asked him, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You follow me. This is great words. Do not let comparison ruin your walk with Jesus Christ. The redemptive story that you are living with Jesus Christ belongs to you and Jesus. It's on his pen, and it's on his time. Yes, John would live to be an old age. He was the only disciple who would die peacefully in a bed at an old age. They, all of them would all get killed. In fact, Peter would die on a cross upside down because he requested, this is what history tells us, he requested to be um, crucified upside down because he wanted to honor the Lord by not being crucified the same way. But he didn't do it out of impulse, and he didn't do it out of pride. He did it out of this, Lord, you are too good for me but I honor you by walking from this life, from this moment to that cross. Did he fight his way? Did he fight his way out of the cross? Or did he just receive the life that the Lord gave him? The word here is this. Lord, if you have control over my death, then you can have control over my life. Out of the abundance, I know that you are good no matter what I have to deal with. Look at verse 23. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that his disciples would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return to you, what is that to you? And this is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. And we know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. I would say that's true of this room alone. If we could write down every good thing that God ever did for you, let alone just Peter and John and, his, and Jesus' three-year ministry. But with that, we close the book of John. It's a little bittersweet. I know some of you guys are excited to get out of John and get into a new book. But I want to let you know, this is my third time teaching through the book of John, and this has been one of the most special times because I never really focused on Peter the way that I did this time. And I love this because you can see that John and Peter had a great relationship, but it was very competitive, Right? 
it was always John being like, you know, I'm faster than Peter, right? Like in a foot race, I would win. And you know, there's a lot of times that I put on display that Peter's kind of not that sharpest tool in the, in the toolbox. I put in there how sharp it was when I figured everything out, and then I pointed how Peter couldn't figure anything out. But I love that we could have ended the book at chapter 20. But I think John, in his old age, as he was writing this all down and looking at the life of Peter, goes, you know what? There's one more chapter that needs to go in. And I owe it to my friend Peter because of the restoration and the goodness that Jesus poured into the one who denied him. And if there was ever a book that we're going to just walk through restoration, it looks like this. In the beginning was the word, and there was creation, and God created us, and then God saved us. There's salvation in the middle. And at the end, God continually poured into us as we ran away and needed to be restored again and again and again. And my friend Peter would become that person. Um, we, we like to beat up on Peter a lot, but I want to give Peter the last word um, today. If you look on the screen, 1 Peter 5.10, Peter would go on in his older age to write this. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you suffered a little while, will himself, and I love that part of the verse, himself, not an assistant, not an angel, not a website, not an app, Jesus himself will restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. How can you be strong unless you have the hope and love of the Lord? How can you be firm and steadfast if you don't have the abundance of the Lord? Every single person here is just like Peter. We were all dead, empty people, and the Lord filled us up with the Spirit. And he graciously gave it to us in abundance. Do you want to know how much you need of Jesus Christ? It looks like this. When I am dead and alone, and I call it like a desert, and my lips are parched in my sin, you know, I'm just sitting there, and I'm, I'm just so exhausted by myself. And there's this giant waterfall over here, and his name is Jesus Christ. And I go, Lord, what should I do? And Jesus is like, really? It's right there. It's never gone anywhere. It's the same waterfall that's always been there. What do I need to do? Just get in it. Walk into it. And then I step into it and I go, oh my gosh, this is so good. I'm, I'm no longer thirsty and, and I'm getting clean. And you know what? I feel refreshed. You know what? I never want to leave again. And yet I leave. And guess what? That waterfall's still there waiting for me, isn't it? That is called restoration. You know, when we bring our brokenness to God, we gain access to his unlimited resources. Why? Because he loves us unendingly. Will the love of God ever run out on you? Will it ever leave you? Is it strong enough to hold you for eternity? These are the defining characters of Peter's life, and these are the defining characters of our life because of our relationship with Jesus. We're about to take communion, but before we do, I want to give you an opportunity, if you've never prayed this prayer before, to get right with the Lord. You have this opportunity for salvation today. Um, if you just want to pray this prayer with me because you are a Bible-believing Christian and you love Jesus Christ, but you just want to get ready, that's good too. Let's pray together. Lord, I know that I'm not good. I know that I'm not great. I know that I am empty. I know that I am a sinner. I know that I am broken before you. But I know that you are good and you are an infinite well of goodness and that you love me and that I didn't find you, you found me and you chose me and you are calling me to this moment. Let me walk into your salvation. Let me walk into your forgiveness. Today I pray this prayer. Lord, forgive me and be my Messiah. Be my Messiah today. 
Oh, everything that I am, my lack, my failure, it's all yours. You said through your scripture just now that you would take me. I want life and I want life abundantly and I want it in you. And I want you to be mine. So Lord, I call you Messiah today. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. Thank you.